electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. Welcome to The Exchange, everyone. I'm Kelly Evans, and we have a huge risk-on move today as markets think the Fed might be done hiking rates. Just yesterday, Mark Zandi called the housing market the biggest casualty of higher rates. But our market guest has two names in the space he's bullish on if you can stomach some short-term volatility. He's here to make his case. Plus, drug makers can't make those weight loss drugs fast enough. And there's one company our analyst is especially bullish on with a robust pipeline. He's here with the name and how much upside he sees ahead. Plus, is the high-end consumer actually doing just fine? A lot of mixed messages about this segment of the market lately. But there's one luxury travel stock gaining in today's session. The CEO joins us exclusively, fresh off earnings with the trends that he's seeing. Before all that, though, let's get to today's markets. Dom Chu down at the New York Stock Exchange. Dow's up almost 400, Dom. So you're you're in Englewood Cliffs. I'm here at the Stock Exchange. You were in D.C. We're all over the place covering the markets right now. But to your point, Kelly, it's been a predominantly green day today. In fact, we're still holding near the almost up 400 level for the Dow Industrials. Currently up 393 points north of 1% gains. There are 33,668. The S&P 500 back above 4,300 now, uh, 62 points to the upside, 1.5% gain there. And the Nasdaq Composite, 13,237, up 176 points, 1 and third percent gains there. So generally speaking, a very robust upside day for the markets, indicating at least some of that risk-taking going on in the marketplace right now. One other place we are seeing some of that play out a little bit more. On the safety side, though, interestingly enough, there's also a bid for treasuries to a certain degree. Look at the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note, now below the 4.7 mark. Remember, at this cycle high, we were a hair above 5%, 5.02% at one point, and now we're back down to 4.7% for the 10-year yield. The two-year note yield ticking just below there. You can see that 5% mark as well, slightly higher in the day, 4.99%. Even the iShares 20-year Treasury bond ETF, ticker TLT, is up one and a third percent today. So if you want to look at it in terms of price, that ETF gives you an indication of that upside move, at least in government bonds. And one other place we want to take a look at right now, whether or not it's a risk aversion trade, a safety trade, a non-correlated trade, regardless of what you want to think it is, Bitcoin prices are now up just about one-tenth of one percent, but it's up to 34621 At one point, it was almost 36000 per Bitcoin. So again, you can kind of see here over the last year, we are hovering right around that kind of cycle high that we're seeing, at least from a shorter to medium-term perspective on Bitcoin prices. So Kelly, overall, very rarely do we put Bitcoin, treasuries, and stocks all in the same kind of bucket, but maybe there is a thematic element of the Fed driving a little bit of that risk trade going on right now. I'll send things back over to you. Indeed, I think so, Dom. Thank you very much. While the bulls are cheering, the Fed's second pause in a row is now actually the time to increase risk. As Bank of America's Michael Hartnett points out, investors would typically want to sell the last hike. Why? Because all signs are pointing to a recession on the way. We saw a bigger-than-expected jump in weekly jobless claims today, that poor ISM manufacturing report yesterday, and our own Bob Pisani flags that fourth-quarter earnings estimates are dropping fast. But that's not discouraging 
approaching my next guest. He's turning to one of the most rate-sensitive sectors for opportunity. We're talking about housing, and he's got two names he likes for the long term. Joining us is Charlie Babrinskoy, vice chair and head of the investment group at Ariel Investments. Good to see you again, Charlie. Hello, Kelly. Good to see you. I can see you bristling a little at my litany of, of poor, poor things going on in the economy. How, how would you read the tea leaves? Well, I think importantly that there are some sectors that have already started to feel some pain. In general, we've been pretty bullish about the outlook for the economy. The bond market's been telling us we're going to have a recession. We didn't think we were going to have a recession. But one area that has felt a recession is housing. And as a result, there are a lot of stocks in the housing sector that have felt the pain of a 5% 10-year Treasury. And those housing stocks, uh, housing supply stocks, are, uh, are very cheap in our opinion. This has been a brutal, brutal three months for value investors like myself. But we do think that there were at the end of the Fed raising process and that we could be having a better environment going forward. For, well, for a second on what you mean by it's been a brutal period, because it would seem that this has been the tough period for growth investors. The small cap value index uh, actually underperformed even the, the S&P. And, and my prediction had been that higher interest rates would be very hard on um, growth stocks because those earnings are far off into the, the future. That turned out to be true. But unfortunately, that higher interest rate really took its toll on cyclical stocks. People felt that a, a 5% 10-year would result in an 8% mortgage rate and that that was going to be very tough on housing. And so, again, those value stocks um, were hit hard. And let's talk about some of these housing plays like Mohawk and like Generac. These are not home builders per se. And Generac, by the way, what a week all of a sudden that stock's having, although, again, what, what a tough stretch it's coming off of. Why not the home builders? Those stocks, as we've noted, were much cheaper, uh, you know, 18 months ago than they are now. So dig a little bit into how and, and where you'd be playing the housing market. Yeah, mostly it's because the um, home builders business has actually not been that bad. They have actually held in better because there's so much demand for new housing. What's come way down is repair and remodel. And obviously there was a fair amount of spending in that space in COVID when you everybody had to stay home. They decided to improve their library, maybe build a deck, maybe build a pool. That has come down. Uh, and again, the prospect of an 8% uh, mortgage rate has meant that people weren't going to borrow to upgrade their own home. Uh, we think going forward that there's still a lot of pent-up demand for housing, and when people can't buy that new house, they will repair their own so that they can stay in their current mortgage. But right now, the market is predicting very tough times for housing in the next quarter, and the stocks were hit very hard. So you're in this for the long run? Yeah, and we're in this because we are in an, un, um, norm, an, an unnormally high mortgage rate. So we've got right now real rates that are way over historical averages. The real rate of interest after inflation has averaged about 1% uh, over the last 100 years. And it got to over 2.5%, particularly in the 10-year. And so we think that's going to come down as the Fed has been selling bonds, has been allowing bonds to mature. There's a lot of focus on them taking up short-term rates, but what's just as important is they've been selling bonds, and about a trillion dollars worth of bonds. And that's put huge pressure on long-term interest rates. We think those are going to come down over the next year. You think the long-term interest rates are going to come down over the next year? <clears throat> as the Fed stops tightening. Again, they sold a trillion dollars worth of bonds. They aren't going to do that going forward when they uh, it was the Fed buying bonds that sent interest rates down to those unsustainably low levels back in 2020 and 2021. 
over the last year, this hasn't gotten the publicity it deserves. They've mm-hmm. sold a trillion dollars worth of bonds, and that is a big reason why rates went up to 5% in the 10-year. We think that is going to stop, and when they stop selling bonds, we'll get a normal 10-year, which I'll call 4%, which would help a lot. That's really interesting, though, because what you're saying is actually a huge point of debate. There's some people who think that QT is going to go on for literally years to come still, and others who think they're going to be forced to stop it as soon as, you know, it's kind of wonky, but as soon as reverse repos are drained or things like that. So um, you, 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 I'm surprised to hear you say you think they'll be forced to stop it as someone who's been a little bit more upbeat about the economy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they're going to see what they know is that higher mortgage rates have higher interest rates have a big impact on one industry in particular, and that is housing. And they are going to start to see what we're seeing, which is real softness in that area. That can result in uh, increases in unemployment. The housing market is very important to the overall health of the economy, and they're going to start to see the impact of of an eight percent mortgage rate. And so, I do believe. We've had an we're going to have an end to Fed tightening with short term rates and we're going to have at least a slowdown in uh, the Fed selling bonds. And when that happens, we get down to a more um, normal 10 year rate, which I think is four percent. Again, uh, a real rate of about 1%. Very, very interesting. Well, now that I can't talk to you about the sphere anymore, which pe- viewers on this show, they knew it was coming. They, they had that rally. But what about Paramount? I got to end on something something a little different here. Are you still in Paramount? That stock's having a nice day. I mean, what, what else? Just give me something fun from the portfolio. Uh, well, I think you, you need to, the sphere's going so well uh, that you need to look at other avenues to, to play a similar experience. And that huh. is... Madison Square Garden Entertainment, which owns Madison Square Garden, and they're going to have a wonderful venue business. The uh, Madison Square Garden Sports owns the Knicks and the Rangers. Uh, people are going to watch sporting events, and so Madison Square Garden Entertainment, which does have the Dolan discount. Uh, I was going to say, do you are you friendly with Dolan? We think that the stocks are cheap because other people really don't like him. <laughs> And so we we think he's done some things that have worked out. The Sphere was his brainchild. Indeed. And the Sphere is going to end up being very good. Uh, but there's no question the stocks trade cheap because of his involvement. All right. Charlie, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time today. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Kelly. Charlie Babrinskoy with Ariel. Let's move on now to the labor market, which has been the pillar of strength in this economy. But Double Line's Jeffrey Gunlock doesn't think that will persist. I really believe that layoffs are coming. I think we've, start, we've seen hours come down, we've seen uh, hiring freezes, and now we're starting to see layoff uh, announcements, not en masse, and not on a, uh, but, but they're, they're, they're out there in financial firms and technology firms, and I believe that's going to spread. Although my next guest says his data kind of shows the opposite. His firm, Recruiter.com, saw a jump in open positions for job recruiters last month, typically an early indication for a pickup in hiring. For more, let's bring in Evan Sohn. He's the chairman of Recruiter.com. Evan, it's good to see you. And is this a new development? Good to see you as well. Um, look, I, I think Jeffrey's right. There are layoffs coming. We're seeing them in the hundreds uh, and in different sectors. I, I think when you talked about recruiters, and finally, now we're seeing uh, recruiter open roles for recruiters uh, jumped eight uh, percent month over month from the uh, our partners over at Aura and the Aura Report. Um, that's a leading indicator. Uh, so I think the tech companies that lay people off earlier in the year uh, that was successful. They reset their overall companies themselves, and now they're looking to hire again. Salesforce.com, notably, they made major layoffs earlier in the year, and then they recently announced they're going to be hiring 
lots of people, uh, and they're gearing up for that by hiring recruiters. Uh, recruiters are a leading indicator of uh, both job openings and then recruiters as well. Real quickly, what is Aura, the Aura Jobs Report? Oh, sorry. Uh, it's a, a partnership that we have uh, with Aura. Uh, Aura is a company built by Bain & Company, uh, really looking at uh, workforce intelligence and workforce insights. And so it's interesting that they say that tech, one of the first areas to shed workers, is maybe going to be back in hiring mode. But you did warn about some layoffs. Is it elsewhere in the economy? Yeah, so like LinkedIn just announced uh, some layoffs, Schwab announced layoffs. Uh, so we are seeing layoffs, but I think we, we've all sort of noticed that this was a rolling a rolling recession when it came to the, the overall job market themselves. Uh, so each industry has sort of had their moment in time where they've announced layoffs. We're seeing some companies that sort of held off uh, announcing layoffs, maybe Schwab, for instance, with their merger with TD, uh, really held those off. But if you look at the overall jobs numbers, the open jobs, the month-over-month -month open jobs were up by 1.6%. So here we are coming into, uh, into November, the end of the year, and jobs were up. Actually, in the Magnificent Seven, they were up by 17%. So Apple, for instance, was up by 15% month-over-month month in terms of open jobs. Uh, so you're seeing now healthcare. Healthcare still is number one, though healthcare did tick down both in the recruiter index as well as in the Aura Jobs Report, ticked down just slightly, but it still is the number one slot there in terms of overall industry segment. And I see here that a lot of these jobs are in a salary range of 100 to 150K, kind of that mid-management level. Um, what does that tell you? It, it tells us that there is still this, uh, uh, first of all, there is a, a higher candidate uh, sentiment. So candidates still feel uh, okay uh, putting their name out there to leave. Uh, we saw the quit rates in the JOLT report be consistent for the last three months. Um, and so maybe managers are now looking and they're open to jobs. Either they're paying more money, they're giving a, 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 uh, they're giving a, a better work-life balance, more compensation, et cetera. Uh, but really interesting to see that so many of the open jobs are really in that $100,000 uh, plus, uh, plus, uh, plus range. So do you think tomorrow's report, <laughs> to, put, to, put, to make you, yeah, uh, force you, you to a prediction? We were all wrong last month, right? right? We were all wrong last month. So um, really, everybody was wrong last month. Um, so the one, the one light I would say is, is hospitality roles were up 5% uh, in terms of open jobs month over month. And we're now coming into that season where those hospitality roles, the seasonality roles are really up. Uh, we saw that, I think, even two years ago when things were more difficult. We saw a really big boom in terms of hiring uh, in November of those jobs. So uh, maybe that could actually balance out some of the, the more flat hiring that we've seen uh, overall in, in the overall economy. Certainly these last few months has been incredibly balanced. All right. The return of the job hopper economy. Uh, we'll see how much longer that's around. Evan, thanks as always for your preview today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kelly. Evan Sohn from Recruiter.com. Still to come, a mixed bag for healthcare stocks as the battle between weight loss drug makers ramps up. Up next, we'll hear what one CEO is saying about the competition and get the street's take on who's best positioned into year end. Later, we'll check in with the CEO of Host Hotels and Resorts. Fresh off of earnings with the stock on pace for its best week since May, it's up 4.5% today. Can it be resilient if we do see a slowdown? And I want to draw your attention to Constellation Brands, whose shares are halted ahead of the company's growth presentation at its investor day. That kicks off at 2 p.m. Eastern. We will definitely keep an eye on it, up half a percent before the halt for STZ. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. 
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of the obesity drug makers are mixed today after reporting earnings. McKesson lower 2%, despite stronger-than-expected earnings and revenue, while Lilly and Novo are higher, about 4%. All three shared a positive outlook on GLP-1, a.k.a. weight loss drug growth. Here's what the Eli Lilly CEO said on CNBC earlier today. I think a lot of the news is about uh, the Anchortons, Manjaro, and by the way, Joe, we have uh, half a dozen other uh, weight loss uh, medicines in the pipeline with different profiles, including one in phase three that could have as much as 30% weight loss in obese individuals. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a serial innovator in obesity. Well, my next guest is also bullish on Lilly. He upped his price objective on the stock last month by 100 bucks. That was 20% upside. Joining me is Jeff Meacham, senior analyst in the biotech and pharma space at B of A Securities. Jeff, it's good to see you again. Welcome. You too, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where are we in the hype cycle at this point? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, basically every possible headline, both regarding the companies themselves and the rest of the stock market, has been floated out there. Uh, but what are the fundamentals telling you about uh, whether their price increases and their prospects are justified? Yeah, it's a great question. Definitely, you know, this quarter, I think, was pretty good for Lilly. It wasn't dramatically better than expectations. They did beat the Manjaro number. Uh, which is, I think, one of the main metrics. Uh, but I think what, what you saw today was validation of Lilly's growth profile really over and above the rest of, you know, large-cap biotech and pharma. I mean, we're talking, you know, 20% top-line growth the next couple years, mid-30s earnings growth, and that could be up to 10 times better than a lot of larger-cap peers. And so that's, I think, you know, where we are in this cycle. I mean, I still think we're you know, very, very early innings. I mean, Manjaro, I don't know what the brand name is going to be, but Terzepatai, the name of the drug, the GLP-1 from Lilly, isn't even formally approved yet in obesity, and yet we're seeing the growth, you know, as it is now. Well, so, and we have a, co a colleague of mine around here who's always so frustrated because right now he had been on on uh, one of the weight loss medications, maybe it was Ozempic, literally a shortage of it um, and other issues are, are, are forcing him off of it. So what do you say in terms of when these are going to be more widely available, even to just the patients who would like to have access to them now? Yeah, for the most part, I mean, obviously you have to get formal approval and that should happen for Lilly by the end of the year, and then you'll have Novo and Lilly. You know, for the most part, I think uh, working on reimbursement and access in 24 and 25, uh, it's still not formally approved or not formally uh, uh, reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid, but commercial insurance it is. 
but that is, I think, one of the biggest questions uh, for GLP-1s is, you know, how long are people going to be on the drugs? Um, once someone loses 15 or 20 percent or more, a lot of times they'll go off or a payer will force them to go off. But I think to get all the benefits of these drugs beyond just weight loss, you need to stay on a little bit longer. I'm, I'm looking at sort of coming off of the COVID cycle and the damage that's doing to the main drug makers there and thinking about, you know, if Lilly and Novo and these names all really need to ramp up their supplies to get a more supply into the market, are we going to look back in two or three years time as they're kind of also coming off uh, maybe uh, the peak and saying, oh, now they're oversupplied and the stocks are down? I mean, how, how can they be confident that if they scramble to increase supplies, they won't be punished for that? Yeah, I would say for the most part, they're, you know, they're, the demand is there, no doubt about it, in just the U.S. I mean, conservatively, the population could be something in the 100 million, you know, uh, patient population, and it could be as high as, you know, 150 or maybe more. But Lilly and Novo are investing pretty aggressively in supply uh, and expectation of that higher demand. But just to frame it, Kelly, I mean, I would say, you know, here we are four quarters, a little bit more than four quarters into the uh, the Manjaro launched for Lilly, and we're already on a $6 billion run rate. So hmm. it's wow. early, right? And, and I think these are going to be really big drugs over time. That's NVIDIA-esque, uh, in, in fact. And I see that it's helped McKesson as well, obviously doing tons of shipments of these medications. So looking across your coverage space, then, do you stick with the manufacturers? Are there secondary players that might benefit or, or, or be hurt as a result? You know, I would. There's definitely other players in the GLP-1 space. Uh, Pfizer and Amgen are pretty early in the development. There, uh, they have phase one and phase two assets. Um, it's not going to be a zero-sum game. It's probably going to be Novo and Lilly for the next, call it five years or so. But I think there's a lot of other manufacturers, um, mostly you know, uh, big cap, you know, biotech and pharma, uh, that could participate. And those are the two that people mention as is uh, Pfizer and 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 Amgen. But, you know, why shouldn't, you know, other bigger cap, you know, companies be in there, right? So a, a Bristol or a Merck, for example, or an AbbVie, um, the, the suppliers that definitely will, will benefit from the much higher demand. But the big question is, you know, how fast can they get to critical mass uh, on supply? All right, Jeff, we'll leave it there. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it today. Thank you. Jeff yep. Meacham, still more upside to come for some of these big guys. Coming up, check out shares of SolarEdge, down as much as 19% after hours after disappointing results and guidance. But it's come quite a lot back. It's down 6% right now. We'll take a look at what is continuing to batter the solar stocks. And as we head to break, here's a look at the sector heat map with all 11 groups in the green today, led by those rate-sensitive plays, real estate, utilities, energy as well. Real estate is up 6% just since Monday as rates drop. We're back in a moment. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Here's a glance at markets with the Dow up 442 points to just about session highs. The rally's been building all day. The S&P is up 1.6 percent to above 4,300, I believe above the 200 day. And that's setting off some happy alarm bells for a lot of bulls into year end. And the Nasdaq up one and a half percent. Starbucks is having its best day since the start of the pandemic. After it just beat on the top and bottom line for earnings, it's up almost 11 percent now. Same store sales were up 8 percent. Higher average checks playing a role in that. They also had a three percent jump in customer traffic. And take a look at some of the media stocks with Roku up 30 percent on a big revenue beat, up 20 percent from a year ago, thanks in part to a rebound in video advertising. Uh, Paramount reports after the bell that stocks up nearly nine percent. Warner Brothers is next week. They're sharply higher after Roku's results, though. Even Disney up almost two and a half percent. Also, Constellation shares reopened a few moments ago. They were up half a percent before that investor presentation. Uh, now they're up about three quarters of a percent, and there's more to come at 2 p.m. Eastern. And finally, Solar Edge plunging on disappointing results and guidance, but looking much better today than last night. Uh, down 7 percent. Last night it was down almost 20, and it dropped 27 percent two weeks ago on preliminary results. So to cap this all off, we've brought in Pippa Stevens following the story for us. Really a tough stretch for them, and they're not the only ones in that sector. Yeah, really tough indeed. And remember, they did announce two weeks ago that things were not going to look great. And even so, they still disappointed. So Q3 was lower than expected, but it really is the Q4 guidance. They see revenue between 300 and 350 million Wall Street was looking for $700 million. And in Q2, they earned, their revenue was almost a billion. So this has deteriorated very, very quickly. They see margins in Q4 between 5% and 8%. Two quarters ago, they were over 30%. So the magnitude of the slowdown in Europe has really taken Wall Street and also company executives by surprise. So there's a lot of different solar business models. For instance, you have ones that are more like yield co's. You'd mm-hmm. understand if those are underperforming with rates. But what does Solar Edge do? And it's interesting that their revenue number has fallen in half in the last couple of quarters. That's so their pretty main, stunning. Yeah, so their main business is the inverter business. And so that is the brains of a solar system that converts the, the solar power to power that can go back to the grid, be used in your house. And the reason why they're seeing such a dramatic drop-off is because in Europe, where 80% of their revenue is based Their power prices have come down so much. It was only last year that we were talking about Europe was going to have this energy crisis. That did not materialize, and so people are less willing to go solar. And with rising rates, it makes the payback period or the period during which the system pays for itself in terms of lower utility bills longer. So there's not much, not as much of an incentive. But what was really interesting was Ronan Fire, the CFO, I spoke to him last night, and he said that through August, things were looking pretty normal. And then all of a sudden, September fell off a cliff. And hmm. so in every other year, July and August are pretty, are, you know, down in Europe because everyone's on vacation. It has always bounced back in September every single year. That did not happen this year. And so even when they warned two weeks ago that things were not looking great, they didn't at that point know about the magnitude, which is that just buyers in Europe have not shown up. Now, he did say it's country specific to a certain extent. In the Netherlands, they're looking at their net metering policy. In Austria, Mm. they're going to suspend taxes starting in January. And so why would you buy a system now if it's going to be cheaper in the new year? So there are a lot of country specific issues. But then that's all within the backdrop of rising rates, which are just hammering consumers and making it nobody want to solar. It really is a perfect storm, a perfect solar storm, uh, as, as we said earlier, uh, coming against the industry. And that's a, just a shocking outcome. P- Pippa, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Pippa Stevens. Let's get to Julia Borston now for the CNBC News Update. Julia. 
Kelly, White House officials say on his trip to the Middle East, Secretary Blinken will urge Israel to briefly pause military operations to allow hostages to be released and aid to be delivered. Officials clarified that the humanitarian pauses would be different than a ceasefire. A former Memphis police officer changed his plea to guilty in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. The officer pleaded guilty to federal charges of excessive force and obstruction of justice, and he will also plead guilty to state charges. Prosecutors are recommending a 15-year sentence. It is unclear whether the other four officers in the case will follow suit. The suspect in rapper Tupac Shakur's murder case pleaded not guilty today. Police said Dwayne Davis had been a longtime suspect after he made a series of public statements implicating himself in the murder. Davis was charged with one count of murder for allegedly leading a group in the drive-by shooting that killed Shakur. Back over to you. Julia, thank you very much. Julia Borston. Coming up, how is the high-end hotel industry holding up in this macro environment? We'll ask the CEO of Host Hotels, fresh off results with the stock having its best week since May. Marriott Marquis owners, we're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of host hotels and resorts up nearly 5% on a bottom line beat and a full year guidance raise. The world's biggest lodging rate saw nearly 8% growth in its funds from operations from the previous year. They're also the largest third party owner of Marriott and Hyatt Hotels with 72 properties in the U.S. and five more internationally. Here for an exclusive interview is Jim Rosolio. He is the CEO. Jim, it's good to have you here. Welcome. Kelly, thanks for having me. This flies in the face a a, a little bit of what we've heard. We've had companies lowering guidance. We sometimes hear the high-end consumer is hard hit or even the, you know, the Target CEO today said people are even pulling back on groceries. Maybe that's not your core customer. But um, what are you seeing? Well, we're very optimistic about uh, the state of travel. Uh, We had a terrific quarter, uh, as you uh, uh, just pointed out, and uh, we're able to hold our guidance for the full year. Uh, we're optimistic on a, on a lot of different fronts because we continue to see strength and improvement in our group business. It's very strong. Uh, we're seeing the gradual evolution of the return of the business traveler over on a month-by-month basis. Our leisure rates, our leisure customer, we have 16 resorts. Um, leisure rates are still up 56% compared to 2019 in the third quarter. So we're not really seeing a a meaningful pullback by any means on the leisure. Uh, International inbounds, another tailwind for us as uh, as as we start to see the international business recover, that's going to to help us as well. And consumers are basically they're just still prioritizing experiences over goods. We see it in our out of room spend in our our hotels, both in the resorts. uh, properties as well as our urban properties. Our, our food and beverage uh, numbers are above where they were in 2022 and 2019. So we're optimistic on a lot of fronts. That's interesting. And it jibes a little bit with what we heard from Charlie Babrinskoy earlier on, who said, you know, the fact that the sphere in Las Vegas has done so well is making him bullish on, on a lot of other parts of this space. Right. So you mentioned a group, and I don't know if the Marriott Marquis, just one well-known example around here, if, if that's a big part of revenue or EBITDA or anything like that. But um, when you see that group is kind of coming back and driving some of these results, uh, just talk a, a, in some detail about what you're seeing there. Sure. In the in the third quarter, we booked 245,000 group room nights in the quarter uh, for the quarter. And 
That revenue pace for 2023 is almost 7% greater than uh, where it was at this point in time in 2019. A, a differentiator for us uh, in many ways is the quality of our assets. Uh, and uh, we have invested meaningfully in our properties over the course of the pandemic. We've invested $1.5 billion in our hotels, uh, in addition to acquiring eight new properties uh, at a cost of $1.8 billion. So Marion Marquis is a good example. We did a complete transformational renovation of that asset uh, over the course of the pandemic. And we have seen a meaningful pickup in group business and transient business at that property. Hmm. Uh, in, in fact, um, I talked about this on a call today. Three markets uh, that are very important to us from a business transient perspective, New York, San Francisco, and Denver are only down 10% in business transient room nights relative to where we were in 2019. So, uh, you know, we have a fortress balance sheet, Kelly, that allows us to, to pull levers on all fronts. It's a, we're the only investment grade lodging REIT. Hmm. Uh, and uh, in addition to, you know, continuing to invest in our assets uh, and acquiring hotels, uh, in the quarter, we bought back stock. We raised our dividends. So yeah. we're very well positioned for any any macroeconomic environment that may come our way. I, I got to get back to the marquee. I think it's been a few. You know, when I was young, my uncle would take me in the elevator and it would shoot yeah. up to the top just, <laughs> just for the experience. You, you, should go, you should go check it out. I don't think you'll recognize it. It, it wow, is a really? really, truly reimagined hotel. Okay. Yeah. So final question on a much uh, you know wonkier note. You did mention the balance sheet. And tell us what effect rates are having. You know, we've seen this historic rate shock. Now we're coming off that a little bit, and we're in not just your stock. A lot of the REITs are, are doing quite nicely today. What's this going to mean, this level currently of interest rates for your business the next couple of years? Well, for our business, uh, higher interest rates are actually good. You know, as we sit here today, we have $2.6 billion of liquidity. Uh, that, that includes a fully available $1.5 billion credit line, and the balance is in cash. Uh, so from an acquisition perspective, acquisition financing is tough, it's expensive, um, and it's kept a lot of people on the sidelines. We have the ability and the only ability in the re-lodging space, and frankly, is probably one of the only buyers that uh, can go in and do deals on an all-cash basis. So we have very minimal maturities. We have one $400 million bond deal due next year. And it's very manageable. So we're, we're excited with our positioning. Nice place to be in this kind of environment. Jim, thanks so much for joining us to talk about the portfolio and the properties. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. Jim Rizzolio of Host Hotels. Still ahead, Yum Brands, Canada Goose, and Estee Lauder all reporting a slowdown in China last quarter. Yum managing to weather concerns, though shares higher for the week. Goose and Lauder both down more than 9%. What will be the story for Apple after the bell today? We'll discuss that one next with the Dow up almost 500 points now. Welcome back. Shares of Apple are higher today ahead of their earnings after the bell. Street will be watching for an update on China iPhone demand. The all-important holiday quarter overall. The shares are up nearly 2% today. Was it a four-day win streak now? Something like that. For today's Tech Check, Dear Jabosa and Steve Kovac both join us to break things down. And Deirdre, let's just start with you and kind of set the scene for us a little bit here. Yeah, so something that I've been taking a look at this morning 
As what you mentioned first is the China factor. What has been typically Apple's greatest opportunity is now looking these days more like a liability, and it has Wall Street a little bit worried. It's not just the supply side, which started, you know, a year ago, almost a year ago today with the Foxconn factories, but now it's about demand. What kind of impact is the return of Huawei smartphones having on iPhone demand? Uh, Third-party data shows that the market share for Apple in China has actually decreased because it's really been the sellout success from Huawei. And we know that the iPhone 15, again, according to third-party data, hasn't been selling as strong. So that's what investors are really going to want to look at. Yes, Steve. What about uh, what's the mood in Cupertino? Can you, can you get, a, get a sense of things just from the trees out there? Yeah, I mean, it's a gorgeous day. But look, I mean, the thing that everyone's going to be looking for, Kelly, is the guidance for this holiday quarter. You know, that it was the holiday quarter a year ago that they missed expectations, kind of kicking off that full fiscal year of declining sales. We're expecting this third quarter report, I mean, fourth quarter report, rather, to show uh, its fourth quarter in a row of declining sales. And everyone's going to be listening to that call. I would caution people, wait until the earnings call at 5 p.m. Eastern. Listen to CFO Luca Maestri and how he guides towards the holiday quarter for any signs of what demand actually looks like. Uh, We'll get a little bit of data of the iPhone 15 cycle. You know, there's about a week and change um, of iPhone 15 sales in this quarterly report. But it's really all about can Apple return to that top line growth, given all those headwinds in China that Dee was just talking about and just other mature markets, too. U.S. smartphone uh, demand is down, of course. Uh, We did hear some positive things from Qualcomm last night about the mobile demand. But overall, it's it's still a big concern for Apple. Deirdre, one of the, the things that caught me a little off guard, you know, Apple, you know, I, I feel like I came of age, right, with the, the Steve Jobs <laughs> unveils, and these are huge, you know, and often yeah. they're these, they, they happen during our show, these 1 p.m. Eastern big events. Then they kind of went and did the 8 p.m. spooky fast right. thing the other night. And <laughs> the message seemed almost a bit panicky and a bit rushed, and maybe we're all reading way too much into this. But as the dust settles, <laughs> what do you think? It had a lot of folks puzzled. Why would they do this, you know, right on the eve, the earnings? But I will say, though, that the chip story has been one of the most fascinating stories about this company over the last few years, the success of its M-series silicon and how that has really sort of enabled them to do more and more of that vertical integration that investors love. Kovac, I should ask you, what did you make of that announcement? I mean, it was as puzzling to me as it was to the street. Yeah, I mean, I've been following Apple forever, and they don't typically do evening events. I didn't see it as anything more than doing a cute little Halloween thing. Uh, They've announced (laughs) products the week of earnings or within a few days of earnings. Um, Maybe they put together that really slick uh, video in two or three days. I doubt it. Uh, It was heavily scripted. They had Issa Rae on there. So uh, I doubt it was as rushed out as some people have been implying. Hmm. And it's also not unusual for Apple to release uh, new Macs. in the in October or November and time for the holidays. So um, I didn't read into it any more than like they wanted to do something cute for Halloween. Uh, but speak of the Mac business, that is something to look at in this quarter, mm-hmm. uh, expecting it to be down significantly despite um, you know the the success of these M series chips. I wonder too yeah. if we're just giving them you know 
if we were not giving them the benefit of the doubt because the stock had been on such a slide going into that event, Deirdre, whereas now once it's turned around a bit, the mood's always a little bit more positive. Um, maybe that's a different story. Do we have any sense of what to expect from traditional historical patterns on their earnings I report mean, as well? When you put Apple in the context of the other mega caps, right, this is a company that the long onlys, they don't like because it's actually declining revenue, which Steve has talked about today, over the last fiscal year. So that is very different, especially for the valuation that it has. And that's an issue that a lot of the bears take issue with, is that the valuation does not justify a company where revenue is actually shrinking. All right. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, again, better mood going into this report. That's for sure. The stock coming off a better stretch. Dear Jabosa and Steve Kovac will hear from Apple after the bell. And it's not just them either. We've got some near-term options in Block implying a 13% move in either direction on its report this afternoon. DraftKings has only missed on revenue once in the past 14 quarters, but has missed on the bottom line eight times. And with 38% short interest, is meme stock car Carvana poised for yet another squeeze or not. We're going to have the action, the story and the trade on all three. That's next in Earnings Exchange. Welcome back. More earnings on deck. And we've got a bunch of new economy stocks in today's earnings exchange. We're going to look at Block, DraftKings, and Carvana. Here with our trades is Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial's founder and CEO. I'm trying to guess which of these, Jeff, you might like. So uh, we'll let's, take, see. let's take them one by one. We'll start with Block, formerly Square, down more than 40% in the past three months on spending concerns and September outages for both Square and Cash App. Wedbush focusing on monthly active users to get a sense of engagement and market share against competitors like PayPal as they try to balance growth and profitability. Jeff, would you be a buyer of Block? Yes, I'm still going to call it Square, but yes, I'll be a buyer <laughs> here of Block. And I really want to use PayPal as a proxy. If you look at the last three years, Kelly, it has been lock and step. Whatever PayPal has done, it has done. So yes, there's competition there. They are concerned about you know compressing margins or talking about rising competition with PayPal. So maybe there's even a merger because PayPal is twice the size. But at the end of the day, we are seeing this move higher in the wake of PayPal's earnings report. So I think there's expectations for a move higher. I think it makes a ton of sense at $48. That's another 10% higher. It should go and test there. But to your point, we just hit a 52-week low down at $39. When you talk about valuation, I know it's hard to value the new economy stocks we're talking about, but the five-year average on Square has been about 88 forward times earnings. Right now, we're about 25. From a P.E. ratio, a forward P.E. ratio, it's trading at 25. So I think there is a bit of a discount. I want to own it here. I think you'll continue to see this implemented into our economy globally. One question for you. It's always on my mind when we talk about some of these stats. Like for instance, we say the options are implying a move of maybe 13% up or down for yes. Square. Um, what does that tell you as a trader? I mean, do you, do you like those kinds of opportunities? Does it mean it's guaranteed we're going to get a big swing or sometimes that move is a head fake and, and nothing happens? Well, whenever you see the IV or the implied volatility, it's definitely specific to that stock. And this is a higher beta stock. So when you talk about Square having a 13% implied volatility going into earnings, yes, I think you have high expectations for a binary outcome. It's either going to go back and test that 52-week low at $39 or have the ability to recover some of the damage and reclaim some of that valuation we talked about in its former average of P.E. ratios. All right. Thank you for answering that. I'm always thinking about it. And let's move along to DraftKings. That's the online sports book, of course. It's up 140% year to date. They've had five new state rollouts. North Carolina, Vermont are coming down the pike. Um, of course, they're still well off the $70 highs 
from 2021. Canaccord says they're focusing on new features like easier same-day parlays that attract users and have higher margins. Would you be a buyer of this one? You know, I want to be a buyer as well. What a volatile stock. It's just remarkable. When you remember its IPO, it merged with the SPAC. And then as soon as it came out, that's when COVID hit. So all basketball games, all NBA, everything stopped existing. And sure enough, you saw um, DraftKings go from about $12 all-time high up to $70. So I think as you kind of look at the statistics, yes, ESPN is rolling out bet. That's Port Noise uh, acquisition. So there's more competition. But I think between FanDuel and DraftKings and even ESPN bet, there's more room because when you look across the country, Kelly, only 50% of our population is gambling or allowed to gamble on their mobile app. It's state specific still. So I think there's a ton of room here. I think you want to own it. But if you want to book some profits here, I get it. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. But this is a name, as long as you have the stomach to own it for longer term, it should continue to move higher, but it's not going to be linear. All right. CEO Jason Robbins is on Mad Money with Jim Cramer tonight after earnings. That'll be around 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see what he has to say and how that report goes. And that brings us to Carvana, up more than 500% year-to-date with help from a kind of meme stock rally. And it's up 14% today, by the way, well off the $370 high from 2021. Consumer demand is in focus as rates remain high. Used car prices are down around 8% from a year ago, according to Mannheim. And the company completed a a debt exchange in late August trying to shore up liquidity and lower interest costs as part of a broader efficiency push. I can't imagine, but maybe you're a buyer of this one, Jeff. No, you know me too well, Kelly. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah, my fiduciary responsibility has come out. From a trading perspective, yes, it's up 450% year to date. But do you realize, Kelly, it needs to go up another thousand percent to get back to where it was at an all-time high. So the vending machine car experience, I think, is really come under pressure. If you look on a three-year perspective, it's still down 85%. Yes, it's down 85% on a three-year perspective. So yes, this is a company that has really felt the impact of Fed Chairman Paul in raising interest rate policy because that capital, like you talked about, had to be recapitalized and that really put a hurt on them. But I don't want to short this stock by any means. It's already up 13% today going into the earnings after the bell. But if you own this stock, I think it's a gift that you've gotten back to 450%. If you own it from up uh, you know, where it was, then this is going to be a, an opportunity to maybe tax loss harvest and move on from this stock. But the vending machine, I go down the highways now, those vending machines that mm-hmm. had the car stacked in them, I don't see cars anymore. Hmm. I don't. In, in, well, I don't see them in my neighborhood uh, making making the same rounds that they once did. Okay, so now That's you get right. to take a little victory lap. I mean, are we at your 10-year price target yet or not? Let's show maybe a one-month chart of the 10-year. Uh, when we were at five, you said, what, didn't you say four and a half was next? And we're at like 465 today. I did, Kelly. But let's take that victory lap together. How about the whole crew on the exchange takes a victory <laughs> lap? We've had a ton of bond experts being rolled out on CNBC, but I'm going to go back to two things. One, I've traded the 10-year note for a long time. But secondly, when you look and feel the way it was it was just a trade that was overextended, Bill Ackman talked about covering his trade when the 10-year went about 5%. So whenever you see the pendulum swing so hard in the futures market like that, it's expectation. And then you have the Fed one-two punch talking about the pause. We called on your show with you the pause that was happening, and it got kind of got verified yesterday. So that's where you're seeing the 10-year down at 4.62%. That was the low yield today. And yes, I do see it tucking under 4.5%, which should continue, heard it here first, 
to light up that Santa Claus rally. All right. Thank you, Santa. Uh, we appreciate your time today, Jeff, as always. Jeff Kilberg with KKM Financial. And we'll leave it there. That does it for The Exchange with the Dow up more than 500 points now. For more analysis on markets and the economy, you can get my newsletter over at cnbc.com slash newsletters or just by scanning that QR code on your screen. On Power Lunch, shares of a firm are surging today after Amazon announced a partnership with the Buy Now, Pay Later company. We'll have the details. John Ford is getting ready. He's in for Tyler. I'll join him on the other side of this break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 